0: Romans twelve three through 13. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in prayer In spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. You may be
1: seated. Thank you, Paige. Well, we have been in our series called Committed, because we as a church are committed to Christ, committed to Christ's church, and committed to Christ's mission. And we have been in the section talking about committed to Christ's church over the last number of weeks. And I heard a quote from an author by the name of Sam Alberry who said, the church should be like Rivendell. And you've heard me say that before. If you're not familiar what Rivendell is, in the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, there's this place called Rivendell where the elves live. And uh, it's not just like a unique fantasy kind of place where the elves live. There's There's something unique about Rivendell. It's a beautiful place. It's a peaceful place. It's a safe place because if you're at Rivendell you're safe. The borders are protect- protected at Rivendell. But Rivendell's not just a safe place. It's not just a beautiful place. It's a place where people come to find refuge, not just the elves, but those who are allies of the elves would come and find refuge. So the heroes in the story uh, in, in that trilogy, when they come to Rivendell after they've been uh, experiencing opposition against evil forces, they find rest there they find rejuvenation there. They find a place uh, where they are strengthened to go back out into the fray, to go back out into the battle. And the church, our local church, every local church should be like Rivendell because there's, there's a battle raging in the world. Like We experience this, not just what's happening in the Middle East, and we're going to pray for that tonight in the prayer meeting, but there is a spiritual battle going on, and we feel weary from the fray, and the church is the place where we come to be nourished, to be refreshed, and for us to experience that kind of culture. I don't know about you, but even that image of Rivendell, I'm like, I want our church to be increasingly like that place. Do you want our church to be like that? But for us to have our church be like that, we need to be committed to rightly think about ourselves. We need to be committed to rightly think about one another. We need to be committed to rightly think about the gifts that we use because those things kind of lay the groundwork for us to have this culture where where we find rest, where we find peace, where we find fellowship, where we find something that's different than the world finds in other places. So the first thing as we seek to build this culture is we need to be committed to think rightly about ourselves. So look at what the text says in verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, that God has assigned. Now, I just wanna say, as we, we come to this statement, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, I just wanna acknowledge the reality. We are breathing the air of a culture that thinks of themselves highly. Uh, at some point uh, years ago, uh, an international mathematics test was administered to children of 10 different nations. One of those nations was our nation. And this kind of illustrates just the air that we breathe. And they, they evaluated two things. They evaluated their mathematical skill and they, inval- they, uh, they evaluated their self-esteem or their confidence, their, the, how they thought about their performance. Now, two very interesting ironies stood out from this evaluation. One was this. The students from Korea... Uh, had a very low view of how they thought they did. In fact, they were the lowest. But their scores on the mathematics test were the highest. So they thought they had the least amount of confidence and concern. They didn't have, the, they didn't have a high estimation of themselves, but, but their scores were the highest. Why is that? Because in their culture, as they rigorously pursue academic excellence, they're taught the principle of humility. So that was one of the interesting that stuck out. The other interesting thing doesn't speak so well of, of the nation that we're a part of. Okay, the kids from the United States, they scored the lowest of the 10 nations that were ranked. But when it came to their estimation of how they did, they saw themselves as the highest. They ranked themselves the highest. So the American students had a high view of their competency in spite of their miserable performance. That's the air that we breathe. That's the air that we've grown up breathing. So I know that's pushing back against us as we come into the church. There's a temptation to think highly of ourselves. There's a temptation actually to read a text like this and say, that's somebody else. Like we read something like not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And we think of, immediately think of like the bragger, right? The boaster, the one who is like me, 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 me. When you talk to them, all you're aware of is like the things that they do. They have, you know, they're just amazing in their own mind and you've interacted with those people. So when you read this text, you're like, I'm not that guy. So So maybe this isn't me, but we can also think highly of ourselves and it can look like being a, a fisher. Now I'm not talking about when Jesus says being fishers of men, and I'm not talking about catching fish to, to eat them. I'm talking about the compliment fisher, the one who, who says, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm no good. And. And I, uh, you know, I just really stink at everything. And, and in their heart, like one eye's open, like they're just, their head's down and they're, they're looking for a compliment. They say those things, but really what they want is for people to pat them on the back. I have, I've been that guy. I've been that guy before. And then there are those that might have what I would call like the Eeyore syndrome, you guys know who Eeyore is? If you Red Pooh. Right? It's always, Oh, it's me. Life is hard. I just, it's just, I, I can't even, this is, this is talking fast for me because it's just so hard. And we go like, well, that person isn't thinking highly of their self. But that person can often only be thinking about themselves. There are different ways it's expressed. What I What I want to point out is the fact that Paul is saying in this passage, don't think too highly of yourself. In fact, don't be thinking of yourself first at all, because if we're honest, we probably fit one of those categories at some point in time. I'm not asking you to tell me what the people in your family, what category they fit in. I want you to ask the question, like, do I fit in one of those categories? Am I thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think? Because the text tells me, as it says here, not to think of himself more highly, but to think with sober judgment. Like, what does that mean? How do I think with, how can I think rightly? Because if I'm not thinking rightly about myself, how am I going to? Here's just a couple of things ask others input ask others input don't assume you know yourself clearly if you're like me you're not the piece of work that you think that you are okay like if you if you're like me that's that's the way i don't see myself clearly and when i ask the question hey hey can you give me some observation do i do i say things that make me think highly of myself do you think i think really highly of myself I'm acknowledging I've got weakness and a blind spot, and it helps to put pride to death just by asking the question. Ask for input. Let others promote you. Be a lifelong learner. Those are a number of things, but the biggest thing that we can do, look back at the text. It says, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, at first glance, we kind of read that. And we're like, well, some people just God's given them the ability to see themselves clearly. So there's a measure of faith and you know, maybe I'm off the hook because God hasn't given that to me. And so I don't have to think about it. No, what that is talking about is the measure of your faith, measuring yourself up against Christ. It's not about well, some see themselves more clearly. He's, he's talking about a standard of measure, And that standard of measure is the saving faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. That our faith is in the gospel and in Christ himself. In whom, in whom's life we see God's judgment and his mercy revealed. So we want to look at Christ. Remember what Christ said. We looked at this when we were studying Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Rather than comparing ourselves to the person we think is arrogant, we consider Christ. We consider his humility. We start with, Lord, we, we need you. That's really living out Remember when we studied the book of Matthew and the beginning of of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes says, blessed are the what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, the one who humbles themselves before God. One author says, you could kind of translate it this way. Happy are those who realize that they have nothing within themselves to commend. For theirs is the kingdom of God. See, when when Christ is our standard, we we, we have the tendency not to exalt ourselves. And rather than have the temptation of comparing ourselves with others, because when we compare ourselves with others, we can tend to see their weaknesses and what we perceive as our strengths. But when we compare ourselves to Christ, we realize what Christ has has done for us because the gospel says that we have fallen short and we deserve nothing yet in God's infinite love and mercy he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins do you believe that this morning do you believe that God sent his son for you do you believe that you needed God to send his son for you? That's where we start. We start in a place where like, I, there's nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. That's the place where we begin is Christ. Not how can I think less of myself? How can I think much of Christ? Are you thinking of yourself in light of the gospel? in light of the gospel. So we want to see ourselves clearly. If we're going to have this culture like Rivendell, we start by looking at ourselves clearly so we're not boasting, but also we want to look at others clearly. Look back at your Bibles at verses four and five. It says, for "For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are one body. The enemy wants us to be divided. That's probably no secret. You see division happening all over the world. He wants us to be divided. And so it usually kind of starts with the stories that we tell ourselves about each other. Like when when we interact with people, maybe we're interacting with someone who's in a different season of life than us. Or maybe you're single and you're interacting with someone who's married and you're like, oh, they just don't, they won't get me or... You know, maybe this church is just for them. It's just for the married people. It's not for me. Or maybe you're interacting with someone who it seems like their life is going so well. And then we start telling ourselves a story about them. And we never tell the accurate story. We need to tell us what to remind ourselves, to renew our minds. What does God's word say to us about the people in our local church? About the people that you are seated here with those that you're in small group with. What does it say? It says we are one body. There's not different divisions or factions. It's not that certain people sit in this section. Though, you know, like in church, like, there's always like someone's got their pew, right? Even though we don't have pews. It's like we have, a, that, but that's not what I'm talking about. There's not like, so certain people sit here, certain people sit there. No, we are all one body because of what? Christ has done. And there's many members and we don't have the same function. We don't have the same function, meaning we all have different gifts and abilities. We do different things, but everyone is needed. Okay. When you think of just the human body, right? We got lungs, kidneys, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, like we need them. I've checked with the medical professionals in our church. If you don't have kidneys, there's just going to be problems, right? They're just going to be problems. You're missing a lung, there's going to be problems, right? The heart stops working, you're, you're done. Every essential part is needed. And don't think for a moment like that you're the appendix, right? Some of I get the temptation. Some of you are like, yeah, I get it. I get they're needed. I look and I see those gifted people that are, that are lead in harvest kids. Like they're super gifted, but I, I think I'm the appendix of the church, right? No one really knows what that's for. Does it really help? You take it out and, and people, are, people are better when it's gone. Maybe that's me. I know we laugh about it, but like, how many of you have felt that? How many of you have felt that? You just look around. That's what the enemy wants you to believe in. It's a lie. We're one body. There's many members. There's different functions. There's there's those you're all needed. And there's no there's no place for rogue cells in the body of Christ. Right? You think of tumors. You don't want the tumor that's the malignant tumor, the one that's going to attack the body. There's no place for that because we're one body. We're called to be healthy. There's no benign tumors. We don't want to be the one that just kind of sits and soaks and just takes and doesn't give. That's not what's being spoken of here. It's part of the body. No, we're supposed to be healthy, functioning, interconnected with one another. But look what it says. Look at the description. It says, and individually members one of another. Each of us belongs To each other and needs each other, belongs to each other, members one of another. So it's not just like we all showed up here and that's that's nice, we're all in the same family because of what Jesus has done. We're all in the same family, we've all been grafted in. I like how the NIV translates this passage it says, Each. Member belongs to all the others. We're all longing for that, right? We want a sense of belonging. People are craving for that. There's a void out there that people are craving for. They're finding their sense of belonging in in different kinds of identity and other kinds of things. And those are just failing. It's failing time and again. And the place where you can actually find belonging is the church. Because when you surrender your life to Jesus, you belong. But you belong to one another. Like we are our brother's keeper. There's this thing that's happened as we are part of the family that we should feel an ownership, a responsibility one another do you feel that do you feel that sense of ownership i know when we're hurting and broken we want others to feel that for us we desperately want to come and we want someone to ask us how we're doing and we're so grateful when we're cared for when we get that text or someone sends us a song or writes us a note or just gives us a hug right like some of you just hug as i standing out front, watching the greeters greet, some of you just, boom, you're going to get a hug. You just know you are. Because there's this ownership, this love for one another. First 1 Corinthians 12, beautifully emphasizes this mutuality. We're not going to turn there, but it it points out that when one member rejoices, we rejoice. When one member weeps, they weep. Because the, the body's interconnected. I mean, when I was a kid, I had a, a tubing accident. I don't want to make it sound like I, you know, was unconscious or something, but I ran into a tree backwards on a tube. Yep. Imagine that, that hurts. I was laid up. My back hurt. It was, I was sat in an upright chair for a week. And you know what? The, my, my knees and my legs, they were fine. My arm was fine. My head was fine, though my brother might say otherwise. But I I was fine. But you know what? My back was hurting and the whole body stayed up all night. The whole body is affected when when we feel that ownership of one another. So it changes the relationship that we have. It's not just cursory. It's intentional. Do you hurt when others hurt? Do you rejoice when others rejoice? Do you feel that? Now, I see that in our midst. I see the commitment to care for one another. I love you because I love when I hear stories about people. I don't love to hear stories when people aren't doing well. So don't, don't hear what I'm, I'm not saying. But I love when I hear the stories that someone wasn't doing well. They're on the other side of not doing well. And they're doing well because people in our church responded with care and encouragement or a meal. And I learn about it after the fact. Oh, they went to the hospital. That I would have loved to have known that. But wasn't a blip on the screen because the, you responded and loved on them and cared for them and encouraged them. I love that about you. But that's the sense of what we want to continue. So we rightly think about ourselves and then we rightly think about others. helps to lay the foundation for this culture of Rivendell that we are talking about. We pray consistently for one another. It happens in the context of relationship, right? That happens as we interact with one another, as we think rightly, we're going to think rightly. We're going to stop telling us the wrong stories when we spend time with each other and we ask questions of each other. Have you prayed for someone in our church in the last week because you are close enough to know their need? I'm not just talking about Yep, Lord, help Flora May uh, to love Jesus more. Now you should pray that. But do you know the intricacies of what's going on? Do people in our church know the intricacies of what's going on in your life? You're just as much of a member with them as they are of you. So that, that speaks to the relationship that we, that we get to enjoy. So if we think rightly about ourselves, rightly about others, and then we want to be committed to think rightly about our gifts. Look back at the text here. It says we have gifts that differ. Uh, Look at verse six, have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching and so on. Now we can read that list and we can be like, I don't, I don't know if I got any of those. I don't even know what prophecy is. I don't even know what they're talking about. Those prophets, they get stoned and thrown in pits and kind of stuff like that. I hope I don't have that gift. Look, the gifts, there are lists. This is a list here. There are lists in other parts of scriptures. They are lists as examples. They aren't exhaustive lists. But the thing we want to notice about this list is the manner in which the gifts are used. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. Not one who's like, oh, yeah, oh, I got to give. Oh, I'll give it. No, like, the, no, I, I want to give as much as I can in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. Not, oh, I got to lead small group tonight. Oh. No, there's this excitement. Uh, the, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, not out of obligation. There's something that God does in the heart of the Christian where we use the gifts God has given us and we use them in a, in a way that the world doesn't get. It's not obligation, it's opportunity. Because we, we have gifts. Everyone has been given gifts. You have been given gifts. You've heard me say this a number of times over recent months. Everyone has been given gifts to be used to to build up the body. Nobody has all the gifts. If you try to use other people's gifts, like, you know, that, that is the gift. I think I need to do that. When I can get myself to do that thing, then I have arrived. No, we don't all, we need to appreciate the different gifts that we have. There are different gifts. We have gifts that differ. There's a, a fun story that, that was part of, published in a, a public newsletter in Oregon a number of years ago that illustrates this really well. Like that illustrates the reality that w- we aren't all supposed to do the same thing, okay? This is what it said. It says, once upon a time, so it's obviously a fictitious story, once upon a time, like it's in a little chair, right? Once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So, they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administrate the curriculum, all the animals took all of the subjects. Well, this is what happened. The duck was excellent in swimming, better than his instructor but he made only passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. He was so slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his web feet to to be badly worn and he became only average in swimming, but average was quite acceptable, uh, but not for the duck. The rabbit, now on the other hand, he started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in the swimming class. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because his teacher actually made him start at the bottom of the tree and not at the top, where he could easily just kind of coast off. So he develops Charlie horses from overexertion, so he only got a C in climbing and a D in running. And then the eagle, he was a problem child because he was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but insisted on doing it his own way. Oh, that's kind of a silly story. But have you ever felt like you were trying to do stuff just because, like that's the thing that you do to be super spiritual? Or you ever feel defeated because you're like, I don't, I don't have that gift that that person has, so I just must not be good, and you feel discouraged, friends? When we try to op operate outside of our of our gifting, it'll, it'll produce frustration and discouragement and the feelings of being defeated. Now, I'm not saying there aren't going to be times where we're not going to do things that we just weren't born to like, oh, I'm super gifted at doing that thing. There's sometimes we're going to serve and do something we're not gifted at doing and God's going to give us grace to do it. The point is we're all given different different gifts and we shouldn't be looking at one another like they've got the gift and I don't have that gift, so I'm just not, I don't have a place. No, everyone has a place. Our gifts are different. Our gifts differ according to the grace that is given. And you've seen the grace given, right? You you see someone who's got that administrative gift and you're like, how did they organize that? like I can't organize my socks and they organize events at church or they do all this stuff and it's just amazing. Well, there's grace given. Or like, you know, when you're working with the kids and harvest kids, I like to play with the kids, but like the, some folks just go over there and they just know what to say, when to do it. The kids are interested and they love it. There's grace that's given and God's given you grace. Grace. Now, as we think about gifts, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when gifts are talked about, I'm like, well, how do I discover what my gifts are? Have you asked that question recently? What, what are my gifts? I'm not really sure what my gifts are. And you know, I'm sure I have a gift, but it's okay. I'll just, I'll just sit back because there's other people that are doing stuff. No, we've all been given gifts. It says, let us use them. So to find out your gifts, you don't have to take some special t- test, like ask other people what they think your gifts are. Again, there's another way. Just humble yourself. Ask, well, what do people see that you're good at? What do you enjoy doing? Sometimes that's how we find out that we're gifted at something, something that energizes you and brings you joy. You you might be gifted in that. I think of a quote from Eric Little, uh, the missionary who won an Olympic medal, you you're old like me, you know of a a movie called Chariots of Fire. And he he ran in that movie. But he said this, he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Using our gifts, we should sense God's pleasure when we go to use our gifts. Or even when we're serving and it's not something we feel feel great at. Like that's going to happen sometimes. But let's just start serving. And I I know God is going to show you what your gifts are if you don't know what they are. But I look around the room and I see, I see so many gifts being used. I love that about you. I love how you seek to serve. I love how you're willing to say, yeah, that's not the biggest thing that I'm, I'm great at, but I'm, I'm willing to do that. But we are to use them. But as we go to use them, it says, let us use them. Let's remember a couple of things. The source of our gifts is God and his grace. That's the source of our gifts. We don't come into this family and go, I I have the gift. Everyone should know, I I have the gift. Maybe you, you are aware of the gift. No, we have to remember that The gifts that we've been given are the grace has been given. It's been God's grace. And as we've been given gifts to use, those gifts are never intended to be our identity. As you serve, there's grace given to serve, but those gifts that you use are not your identity. It doesn't say we are one body in the gifts that we've been given. No, we're one body in Christ. So there are going to be seasons in which we're going to serve maybe in a certain way and then there are other seasons we're going to serve in another way. So when that changes, we're not devastated. That's why we can help equip others and raise them up to do the things that we're doing by making disciples because that's not our identity. Now I've I've been guilty of being like, I'd like to do that thing. I really don't want to give up doing that thing. Or if that thing has been, was taken away from me. Oh, uh, no, like grace is given to do those things for a season. There's sometimes we will we'll set things aside for a season, maybe to revisit that in the future. That's okay. But we don't want to find our identity in that. But we want to serve in doing it to encourage the body. Because when we use our gifts, we build up the body of Christ. We want to be using them because we are stewards of those gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The gifts you've been given, you're to steward. Just like the resources we've been given, we've been called stewards. They aren't ours We don't identify ourselves by the gifts, but yet we've been given them and they're intended to be used. So I want to ask you the question. Is God asking you to serve in a particular way? Why are you waiting to serve? What's what's holding you back? Are, Are you being selfish? Have you said, no, you know, I've signed up for that one thing. You know, you said each of us, each has a gift, at least a gift. And I'm good right there. God's given some of you lots of gifts to use. Are, Are you being a good steward of those gifts? Now, I don't want anyone to feel like some kind of, of shame as they walk out the door. Oh, I'm not using my gifts. I'm, I'm, I'm just horrible. There, there are seasons, there are times we need to discover what our gifts are, but remember what your gifts are for. They're there to build up the body of Christ. When we are serving, we're encouraging the body. Rivendell in the book isn't a safe place because everyone is sitting on the couch. There are some that are protecting its borders. There are some that are serving by nursing others back to health. There are some that are serving in different ways at different times. That's why Rivendale can be such a wonderful place. And the church is a wonderful place because because of those who said, yeah, I've been given a gift. Even back in verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul started by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you use your gifts, it's an act of worship. It's not for you to be worshiped. It's an act of worship of your king because he's given that to you to bring glory to his name. So he wants to use you. You're like a spigot in which In which water, like water flows through. You all have spigots at your house. You turn on the spigot, the water comes rushing through it. God wants to rush his blessing to others, his grace to others, the gospel to others, and he wants to use you. I think God wants us to turn on the spigot, to encourage others, to equip others, so that we can experience a place of safety and encouragement and strength because everyone is involved. Now we could go on and we don't have time to unpack the rest of the verses here but if you if you look at verses 9 through 13 or even following there's a there's a picture of let love be genuine and loving one another with brotherly affection and outdoing one another and showing honor and the list goes on. And if you start with that list, you can be like, man, that's a lot of things to do. But honestly, that list just is going to come when we think rightly about ourselves, when we rightly think about others, and when we think rightly about serving, using the gifts that God has given. Now, friends, in closing, one, one pastor said, he said, a church can unsay by its culture what it says by its doctrine and not even realize it. So we can believe the right things. We can say the right things, have the right Bible answers. But the reality is, we want to have a church like Rivendell. And the way we have one is by walking out in obedience the truths these glorious truths that he has given us and that we would strengthen our culture this isn't a corrective message at all this is one to just stir you up to continue on because we want people to have an experience I was talking with Hugh last week maybe it was this week he he told me a story of he and his wife they go on a walk in this particular park and there's a spot in this park I think where there's a a stream or something and like when they get to the stream the wind blows and there's like cool refreshing air and they kind of have this like thing between each other oh ah that must be the house of Elrond which is another kind of re- reference in the book to Rivendell like when they go to this place like ah this gives us a taste of of a refreshing Place. We, love, we love walking to this spot in the park because it reminds us of this mystical place. Friends, that's what our church is supposed to be like. When people come into our midst, they sense something refreshing. They certainly sense the Spirit of God and they, they experience you experiencing something that is to come the ultimate place where Christ's kingdom is fully established and there's peace. There's absolute safety. There's no wars or rumors of wars. There's no more conflict. There's no more hurt. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. That image in that book of Rivendell is meant to point to something greater than just a nice place to stop in the midst of chaos. One day, that's what the whole world is going to look like, and we get to taste heaven here on earth by being part of a local church. And it's my prayer that those who don't know Christ interact with you when folks visit in our midst, whether it's for a Sunday because they're out of town or because they don't know Jesus and their experience with church is just something completely different than what it's supposed to be. May they experience a taste of a church where folks think more highly of others than they do of themselves, where we think rightly about one another, where we use our gifts to serve one another and strengthen one another so that we can fight the good faith and finish the race. And keep the faith. Let's pray. Father. Father, we have learned a lot today. And there's much we, we didn't cover. The only way that we can experience our faith family in the way that you have intended. The only way we can do that is by your grace. That you would pour out your grace. So I ask, Father, right now for you to pour out your grace. I pray right now, Lord, for those who are hindered from using their gifts. I pray, Lord, that they would be aware most that Christ died for them. And he gave all for them. That this next step for them isn't first that they got to go serve or figure it all out. They need to know Christ. I want to pray, Lord, for us, that you would strengthen us to understand and discern what our gifts are so that we can use them and be more fruitful, that we wouldn't sit back and say, yeah, I'm, 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 I, don't, I don't know if I can do that. No, wait, let's just trust because of what your word says, you're going to use us as we, as we serve with open hands, that the name of Christ would be magnified and that the gospel would go forward because others would experience something unique in our local church. And my prayer, God, is that you would do that in other local churches in our community because it's not about us, it's about Christ. So direct our gaze to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.